what can I do for you? Have you ever heard somebody say that to you? That actually, and I have a lot of people say that to me um, casually. Like, you go sit down in a restaurant, you wake up, hey guys, what can I get for you? You know, that kind of stuff. But no, what if somebody that really had the resource, really had the power, really had the ability to look in your eyes today and say, what can I do for you? What answer would you have for him? I don't know about you, but I brought one of those with me today to church. I brought a, I need you to do this for me. And not just a casual, not just, but I've got some things that I need God to do. Are there things that you've got God, you need God to do? Because I believe the prophetic word today is, I want to do them. I believe God is saying, I want to do this for you. And this will make sense as we go forward. But we're talking about the presence of God. Probably the most important thing in the world you could ever do in your life is pursue the presence of God. You know, this week, um, I don't know if you've ever had a day like this, but Tuesday night, normally my habit, when I get up, uh, when I go home and go to bed at night, I take my phone and I have a place on my shelf right beside my bed. I already have a cord that is not allowed to move out there. My kids will get grounded if my phone cord leaves beside my bed. Because they used to become steal that cord all the time. And I would probably go before. So I have a cord that's specifically mine. I bought it. It's purple. So we know it's not the white one. If they get white one, if they find a purple one, it's mine. We're going to get they're grounded. But it sits right beside my bed because it is specifically there for me to plug my phone up at night so that while I'm sleeping, my phone will get fully charged. Now, Tuesday night, for some reason, I don't know why, and I've been trying to think of why or what could have happened all week. Something happened Tuesday night, and I got in bed. I put my phone there. Now, let me tell you this. I put my phone on silent because me and Jen read a long time ago that uh, the worst thing for a marriage is to put your phone by your bed. And so we both looked at each other and said, I don't know if we're that committed. And so we don't not put our phone in our bedroom. We just turn them on silent at night. And so uh, we, we uh, I sit down. I put it up Tuesday night for some reason. I don't know why. I didn't plug it up. I laid it there. I don't know. I, I tried to remember. Did I actually? Because it's a habit now. Did I put it in and it fell out? I just didn't push it in. But I do know this. Wednesday morning when I got up, it was completely dead. And so I thought, oh, Lord. And you know when your phone, you start the day off with your phone dead, it's going to be a rough day. Because so what I did was I got up, I plugged it up, left it plugged up while I did my prayer time, left it plugged up while I got the girls breakfast, left it plugged up while I got dressed, and then out the door, grabbed my phone. It was about 20-something percent. I thought, oh, Lord, this is going to be a hard day. And so we got to rolling through the day. And I caught myself all the way through the day, right in the middle of doing something, or right in the middle of conversations, or right in the middle of, of what I felt like was important. I'd either be on the phone, or I'd be trying to look up something, my phone would die. And I'd catch myself and run to the car and plug it up, trying to get enough charge to make it to the next call or to the next. And so that was a battle for me all day. When I was, um, I was actually working at a daycare for a little while that day, I brought my plug-in in, plugged it into the wall, stuck it in there while I was trying to work. But it's it, it, all the way through the day. My fight was not what I was doing. I found my fight trying to get my phone to stay on. And to the point where Wednesday night, I normally at this point, because our building's not for lease there in Alabama, I normally get to be a part of the church here, what's going on here. And I did not get to tune in to service till 9 o'clock that night when I got back in my bed and I plugged it in. I say that to say this. I don't know if you've ever had one of those days, but I look back over my life and, and I see how those have been weeks and those have been years and those have been things in my life, spiritually speaking, that 
I don't realize the importance and I don't put the priority on connecting into the presence of God at times when I can and times that are designed for that. So what I find myself doing is finding myself right in the middle of certain situations, right in the middle of certain things. I find myself without the power I need or without the energy or the strength that I need spiritually to get through what I'm going through. And I find myself constantly fighting to try to get connected to God just to get through what I'm going through, get through the next day or to get through the next week or through the next attack or battle. I'm here to tell you this. You were never designed and purpose to ever not be connected to the presence of God at a continual basis. And when you try to go through life without the presence of God being a part of your life or just a casual occurrence through your day or through your life being connected to God, you find yourself never with enough power, never with enough energy, never with enough knowledge, never with enough stuff because you were designed to carry and be connected to getting what you need from God to be able to do and be what God's created you to do and be. And I'd say, that's a miserable day. Have you ever fought a day through a, through a dead battery on a cell phone? I even have power banks that, you know what I'm saying, I'll try to plug it because it's got a power bank. And they lie because it's got four dots and you plug up and you get 4%. And then it's dead. I mean, i got like eight in my car. And I keep one plugged up in my car all the time to I always have a reserve power bank. But it don't matter how many power banks I plug into if I miss the opportunity to get in the presence of my plug-in and let it sit and rest for the extended period of time. It doesn't work properly. I mean, I'm here to tell you. And so, and I tell you, you know, one of the worst drainers on a phone battery is Facebook. You click on Facebook, and man, you can watch the battery. You you get involved in everybody else's social business, and man, your spiritual life will just start tanking quickly. It's just amazing how this happens. But what I'm saying is, you were designed to be connected to the Prince of God. but, But if you don't understand the purpose and the importance of pursuing the presence of God, you go through your life like I went through Wednesday, constantly looking for this just enough charge to make that one more call, or just enough charge to play that one more game, or just enough charge to get to that next Google, or whatever you're looking for. The most important thing you will ever do in your life is pursue the presence of God. You say, what do you mean pursue the presence of God? Because it's a constant, continual thing. You can't just get it once and go. No, you are designed to be connected into the presence of God on a continual basis. And you need to know this. How well and how good your life is will determine on how often and how much you're connected to the presence of God. So you have to be at a constant pursuit. Every day. You were designed, God created your body to constantly need to be fueled. If you eat once a day, at some point in that day, you run out of energy. If you, if you uh, get your car, they've not figured out a way to create a car that doesn't need to be connected to a power source, whether it be with fuel in the tank or through a battery plugged into it. Eventually, your vehicle that is to take you places will eventually run out because it was, there's, they've not figured out a way to be able to create these things. God did not create you to ever be able to go without being connected to His presence. But the awesome thing about that is this. Anytime you purposely position yourself to pursue the presence of God, miracles begin to happen in your life. 
when the children, let me give a testimony real quick. I forgot to, real quick. Man, I'm so pumped about what we're doing tonight. Katrina sent me a text this morning. Said, this is, we had about 25 people saved last week in the park. Praise God. Man, that was so awesome. She sent me a text this week and said, there was somebody, don't go to our church. Just been watching what we're doing. You need to know the city's watching what we're doing. And they gave Katrina $500 to send to this church today to fund for what God is calling our church to do in this community. That's big. I mean, $500, I don't care who you are. That's a lot of money. And that means that's made a big impact in somebody's life. So if you're not doing anything, you need to be there tonight. Let's jump back on topic, okay? Good. You have to be connected to the presence of God. And when the children of Israel in the Bible, when they would pursue the presence of God, when they would allow the cloud to lead them by day and they followed it, and they would allow the fire, then the Bible says they would get up in the morning and everything they needed that day was on the ground. Manna was on the ground. God was causing miracles to take place. If you're in a place in your life where you need supernatural miracles, whether you need healing, whether you need uh, finances, whether you need re- uh, peace or joy, deliverance, well, you put yourself in a place where you pursue the presence of God. Because you can cannot pursue the presence of God without miracles being allowed to, I mean, God will begin to open up miracles. And it's like He leaves breadcrumbs. He's not hard to find. You chase Him and He'll leave you a snack, a snack, a snack. I mean, uh, miracles will constantly be a part of your life. But if you're not pursuing the presence of God, you're always in need of a miracle. You can find yourself in always need. So the most important decision you'll ever make is how desirable the presence of God is to you and how much effort and energy you put into pursuing it. Because you were not created. I mean, they create these batteries. One of the selling points on these iPhones is how long their battery will last. That's a selling point. You were not designed. But they all have a, a dead day, a dead point. You know, like they say, 14 hours. I was let down with this one. It did not last my first day on it. 14 hours, all right? But it, um, it, it will eventually die. And I'll have to go back and plug it up to its power source. I don't care how much Bible you think you know or how long you've been serving the Lord or you will only go so far before you things begin to break down and quit working in your life until you get back connected to the presence. And so we're in this series called Passionately Pursuing the Presence of God. Last week we talked about what happens when you settle for anything except God's best and you find your life in a settled place. Today I want to preach on a different topic. It's going to be called, you know, does he have any room? Is there any room for the presence of God in your life? And I'm going to jump right into Second Kings 4. And we're going to read this story real quickly. And then I'll come back. I'm just, I am just butchered it in the first service. I'm going to read the whole story this time. And I'm going to try to get it to make sense. Are you ready? Second Kings 4 verse 8 says this. And I like that, that version they got up there. Because I'll just jump right into it on the first part. It says, and now it happened. It was one of those it happened days. You ever had an it happened day? <laughs> I mean, I've had a lot of it happened days. And thing about it is, when it happens, and you're not ready for it to happen, it can do a lot of things in your life and make a big old mess. But if it happens, and you have put your life into the position to pursue the presence of God, it can affect you. It can't stick. And God doesn't want those days because everybody's going to have those days. 
Everybody's going to get up. I mean, I would love to think I get up every day feeling like a conqueror and feeling like more than a conqueror, feeling like a, a, a spirit. But I, there's days I get up and I feel like a failure as a dad. I feel like a, you know, a horrible husband. There are days I'll get up and feel like I don't want to do anymore. And, or I get up and open the bills and, you know, feel like I don't have enough. Or I get up and feel like I don't want to do enough. Or feel like, there's days that it's just going to happen. And the thing about it is, where and what value the presence of God has in your life will determine how you get through those days. Didn't say it was a bad day, it just said it happened. You know, the world puts a couple more letters on that. And they try to explain what's going on. But the truth is, it just happens. There are going to be some days it just happens. But it don't have to dictate what happens in your life. But see, because it can happen... But God can be there. And He says, I can turn all things for good for those who love the Lord. And I agree, there are things that happen that are greater than other things that happen. And like, I mean, there are days that it happened in my life where, you know, I got the unexpected call that the kids were being bad or I got the unexpected doctor's report or it would happen and, you know, that you would get the call that someone dear you cared I got I got the call last week. It happened. My sister caught COVID. I knew it was a matter of time that one of my family members actually got it. But I got the call. One of my sisters in Dallas had COVID. But I'm here to tell you, because God's presence is a part of our life, that was a call I got two weeks ago. This week, I got the call that she went back to work. She tested negative. She's doing awesome. Because God is involved in these things. It's going to happen. I'm just here to tell you, there's no one in the Bible that there's a promise that says it will not happen. But there is a promise that says, when it does, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you, even to the end. Now, this is just one of those days. It happened. But we're going to pick up in this story, and it says, And then Elijah passed to Shunammon, where there was a great woman. Uh, I'm I'm going to try to read the whole story without breaking all the way through real quick. But um, I'm so excited. This story has just been transforming my life this week. It says, And she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that oft as he passed by, he turned thither to eat bread. And she has said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an unho- this is a holy man of God, which passes by us continually. Let us make a chamber, I pray thee, on, on, on the wall, and let us set him in their bed. And t- let us set, in there a ta- set for him in there a bed, a table, a stool, and a candlestick. And it shall be, and when he cometh to us, he, that he will that he shall turn in hither. And if I'm reading now the King James, which is hard for me to read, that's the new King James up there, I believe. It says, And he fell one day, and it fell on one day that he came hither, and he turned into the chamber, and he lay there. And he said to Gazaiah his servant, Call the Shinnamite. And when he had called to her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast cast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for you? Would thou be would thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she said, I dwell among my own people. And he said to her, What then is to be done for you? And Gazeha answered, Verily I said, She verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. Jennifer says that often. And he said, Call her. And when he had called to her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season. According to this time of life. Now, the New King James Version says this. About this time next year. 
Now that's what we were in last year. This is a constant theme into the Bible about what God, when God is about to do something. It says, about this time next year, I love it, it says, Thou shalt embrace a son. And he, she said, Nay, my Lord, thou, my God, no man, nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thy handmaiden. And the woman conceived and bore a son at that season that Elijah had said unto her, according to the time of life. I'm going to just jump into this real quickly. God is a filler of things. When you give God an opportunity to fill something, God is a filler. That's why when the Holy Spirit comes, in the Old Testament, it would come on them. In the New Testament, it fills them. God is a filler. God wants your life to be so full. That's why you could, the Bible says in the New Testament, you can have the fullness of joy. Not just a little joy. God's desire is for you to be full of something. But the truth is, most of our lives are so full of things that we can't get full of what God wants to fill us with. And so, in the pursuit of God's presence, the first thing we need to understand here today is that if you give God just a little room, you'll be blown away with what He can do. And so I want to jump right into this and find out how to give God a little room. The Bible says that in this story that there was a woman and she lived in Shunema. Now, usually when you start tearing into stories about people in the Bible, you usually find the stories of people whose lives are, are really broken down and messed up. You find the guy sitting at the well that's blind, I mean the guy sitting at the gates that is blind or lame or the woman at the well whose life's messed up. This is not the case. This is a lady whose life seemed pretty good. She, she lives in Shunema. Shunema means advantage. In other words, she lived on the good side of town. She lived where the rich people lived. She, you know, had, she had a good decent life. Now, if you start reading in 1 Kings chapter 4, you find in the first 1 through 8, starts talking about a widow that wasn't living there. As a matter of fact, she had so little that her husband that um, her husband had died and she only had enough meal for her and her son. They were about to make one more cake and they are about to die. That's not the case here. This is the case where this lady has a pretty good life. i got to be honest with you. I don't care what you're going through. Your life is pretty good compared to people in other parts of the world and other parts Parts of the, you know, uh, in other countries and things. Americans have life so much better than other places in the world. You got a pretty good life. The problem with a pretty good life is you can get through life without a necessity, sometimes without the necessity of God being a part of your day to day, your every way, your every word, I mean, everywhere you go lifestyle. In other words, it's real easy to be in America. And just know about God. Now, and believe in God and love God. But not ever be connected to the presence of God. That's when we have so many Christians, so many believers, not fulfilling the destiny of God in their life. And not being completely fulfilled with this life that God has called them to live. Now, here the Bible says she was a Shunammite woman. I love how the story goes. Life was pretty good for her. But then it goes into this next statement. It says, she wasn't just a Shunammite woman. It says she was a great woman. I love the understanding where it goes into she's a great woman. Because she didn't just have a good life. But there were things about her life that made her stand out above the rest. Let's talk about what those are real quick. Number one, I believe, is this. She understood the importance of the presence of God in her life. Because the Bible said this, in the Old Testament, you've got to understand, it's not like it is now. In the Old Testament, the presence of God 
didn't just show up anywhere, however. The presence of God showed up when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, in the tabernacle, in the temple with the Ark of the Covenant. Then, as the Old Testament phrase, the presence of God would come upon different prophets. If you wanted to have an encounter with God, if you wanted to get a word for God, if you wanted to go and seek something from the Lord, if you wanted to, you know, come into the presence of God, you went and found a prophet of God. When kings would ask questions, they would go, because the, pro- the prophets of God, God would give them the words, God would give them the anointing, the power of God on their lives. So if you wanted to have an impact or you wanted to pursue the presence of God, you pursued a prophet of God. Now the Bible says here, what would happen on the road was Elijah was a prophet of God. And he would periodically, the Bible says here, Pass by her house, pass by Shunema, going to where he was going. And as he was going there, she recognized that God and the Prince of God was available for her. Now, see, the wrong thinking a lot of times is this, that, you know, God loves us so much, that God cares about us so much, and God does know everything about us, that it is God's responsibility that when we need Him, that He's supposed to come help us. And the truth of the matter is, a lot of us live our lives that way. We live waiting for God to come to us. Well, the truth of the matter is, just like it said here, she had heard He was going to pass by. Go to Mark chapter 6 real quick. The truth of the matter is this, that God loves you, God cares for you, and God is always for you, but there are times that you're going to feel like God is going to pass you by because God will pass you by. You ever been, you ever felt like God's passed you by, passed you up, you've been sitting in church service, everybody's getting something but you? You ever felt like that, you know, you needed a miracle or there'd be a speaker or prophet and he'd be touching everybody or getting everybody but you? Feel like you just got passed by? You ever been to a, uh, you know, been in a great need and you saw God come through for other people and God's doing things for other people and blessing other people and taking care of everybody but you? Feel like you just keep getting passed by? Well, you need to know something. God does that. And that's sad. Because all the way through the Scripture, it tells me that He does it. Here, it says this, And then He saw them straining at a boat. Jesus told His disciples to get in a boat. They were doing exactly what God told them to. They got in a boat, started going somewhere, going where God told them to, and a great storm came upon them. And then check this out. Jesus saw it. How, I mean, that's the crazy part. It's not like He caught Jesus off guard. I mean, the Bible says here, it says, And He saw them straining at the rowing. He saw them struggling. He saw them having a hard time. He saw them going through this. And then check out what He did. It says, For the wind was against them. He saw exactly what was holding them back. He saw the four. He saw how He was treating her. He saw how the boss was keeping Him from being able to. He saw how the people were talking about Him. He saw all this. And then check out what Jesus did. It says, And now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. Have you ever felt passed by? Man, I've felt passed by a lot of times. And thought, God, you have let me down here. You need to understand something. God's already pursued you. As a matter of fact, God loved you so much that he sent his son to die here on the cross for you. And He could not have pursued you any harder than giving the most thing He loved the most. Probably loved the most in your place. So that now you can have a relationship with Him. But the truth is this. Jesus has already won the battle. Now it's up to us what we're going to do with it. And the truth is this. When God is going and doing and moving, and He is. God, the presence of God is in this room today. 
I don't care if you feel it, see it. doesn't change the fact that the Word of God is true. God is in this place. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together, there He is in the midst of them. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of His people. God is here. Now the question is that for me and you is this. Does God know you're here? Absolutely. God sees you here. He sees what you're going through. He sees what you're battling. He sees what was taking place outside of here. He heard the conversation in the car before you came in. God sees. He knows. He can see what's fighting and holding you back. Think about it is, are you going to let Him pass you by in the next hour? Because the Bible says He would have... And He loved the disciples. I mean, one of the disciples in the boat, Bible says, was John the Beloved. The one that Jesus loved the most is what it said. John wrote that. Basil is the one that He loved the most. It said He would have passed them by. Have you ever felt like God passes you by? i got to be honest, there's a lot of times I felt like He did me. I felt like there was a lot of people that got through things that... God showed up for him. He didn't show up for me. Or, you know, are you, you're, you're believing God for a miracle. You're believing God to show up. And all of a sudden, He just passes on by. And you're getting through this thing on your own. The truth of the matter is, it happens. And it didn't just happen this one time. The Bible says here that the prophet of God, in King, that, that God was, the prophet of God was passing by occasionally. Constantly, he was walking up and down that road, going by this lady's house. And it wasn't, he wasn't stopping at that house because she didn't need him. As a matter of fact, there was a lot broken in her life, even though she had the beautiful house built and she had everything held together and it looked like what it was, was she was letting him pass her by. Bible says this, the woman with the issue with the blood, that was sick for 12 years, been sick for a long time, says that she had heard that he was going to come by. It didn't say she had heard he's coming to my house. Didn't hear that he's fixing to come heal me. She heard he was passing by. See, God is moving and going. Do you know why God was passing by that day? He was on his way to raise a little dead girl from the dead. You understand? God is always at work and always at work for you and working around you. Behind the scenes. Think about it is a lot of times, if you're just letting God do all the work, he's going to pass. You're going to miss it. And here the Bible says that this lady, she was a great lady. She heard that he was passing by. I know what made this lady great was she understood that when God moves and where God is, if I will put enough effort into the pursuit of me getting into the presence of God, everything about me can change and be good and great. The Bible says this. The Bible says that she was great because she, when the, prophet, when the prophet would come by, she would get up and she would go to where he was passing by and she would put a restraint on him. She would constrain him to come to my house. The Bible says that in the story there in Mark, it said that the disciples who knew Jesus better than anybody spent more time with him. It says he would have passed them by. It says, but they began to cry out. For you to have the presence of God a part of your life to a point where miracles and miraculous things can be released and take place, it will take you getting up and you pursuing it. And so the fact that God has passed you by in the past. Isn't God's isn't the responsibility not? It's on us. Do we desire the presence of God? Do we want the presence of God enough to be able to get up and pursue it? The reason you must pursue the presence of God is because you will never fulfill destiny without it. The children of Israel, the Bible said that the children of Israel for 400 years they were slaves. For 400 years, the Bible says they cried out to God to set them free. 
None of them, none of that generation had ever been in the presence of God. All of them had spent 400 years crying out. And the Bible says this, God looked at them and never saw them slaves. The Bible says He never called them slaves. He called them children. He called out the children of Israel. He called sons and daughters. He called them something that they never could believe about themselves because they had never been connected to the presence of God in their lives. The Bible said this. The Bible says when God set them free, it was the first time they came to a mountain and the presence of God came and sat down on that mountain. And from that point on, the presence of God was a part of their life. And it would get up and it would lead them by day and lead them by night. You need to know this. They came out of Egypt slaves and they had to stay in the wilderness long enough until they connected with the presence of God enough times to where they were no longer slaves. Their identity began to change. The reason why you need the presence of God so deeply in your life is because when you're in the presence of God, when you connect to the presence of God, it changes your identity and who you are. You will never accomplish and never be what God's called you to accomplish or be without the presence of God. The children of Israel were slaves. The reason why they stayed in the wilderness for 40 years is because they did not value the presence of God enough for it to allow them to change who they were. God called them children, and for 40 years it would lead them. The problem with it is, the Bible said that the children of Israel would get up every day, they would come out and they would face the temple, the tabernacle, and the presence of God would come and sit on it. It says that when the presence of God would sit on the tabernacle and they went into the presence of God, they would turn back in their tents and they would sit and they would eat. So out of all that that took place, the two people that got to go into the promised land, because you understand, if you don't know your identity, you will never be able to accomplish your destiny. And the only place you can get your identity is out of the presence of God. A job can give it to you. Money can give it to you. Relationship can give it to you. Nothing can give you your identity. The only thing that can give you who you are, what you are, and how God made you is who made you. If you can connect to who made you, you'll find out who you are. If you find out whose you are, you'll find out who you are. And you will never be happy in this life, going through life, trying to figure out what you are, because the only place that can come from is the presence. And so the children of Israel, the Bible says that Joshua was one of those out of the millions of people that went into the promised land. Because during the 40 years in that wilderness, the Bible says when Moses would get up and go into the presence of God and go into the tabernacle says, and when Moses would leave, it said Joshua would stay there a little longer. And so when Joshua got ready to step out of wilderness and into promised land, he didn't step out of Egypt as a slave. He stepped out as Egypt as a child because the prince of God revealed the identity. And when he stepped into the promised land, he saw himself as a giant killer when all those that were not connected to the presence of God, but yet they were called by God and they were children of God, they were not connected to the presence of God, they still saw themselves as grasshoppers. You have to understand the difference between people that are completely fulfilled, satisfied, and able to do things in this world that you think God is blessing them more than you is they are connected to the presence of God in their life. And their identities are revealed. And once your identity is revealed, the next thing happens. God gives you dominion to take. The reason why they couldn't go into the promised land for 40 years was because they remained who they were. They're mentally, 
physically, emotionally. They remained slaves. They kept remembering what they liked about back there. They kept being wanting to go when things would get tough. They were wanting to go back into that. They never let the presence of God be at such a point in their life that they wanted to go forward and take what God had given them. So they never got the dominion. Those that did get into the presence of God got the dominion. You need to understand this. God will empower you to accomplish and succeed in every area of this in your life that you were created to have dominion over. But you'll never get that until you get your identity. And the only place identity can come from is the presence of God in your life. Let's get back to this story. In this story, the Bible says that she would get up and she would go out to the road when the presence of God was passing by and she would put a constraint on him to come and commune with her. If you don't value the presence of God to be willing to get out of your comfort zone, see what your comfort zone is, is your house. She left her house and went out to the road. Until you, unless you're willing to get out of your comfort zone, get out of your bed in the morning, get out of your TV show that you love so much that you don't have time in your day. Any other God, God, does, God will fill any space you give Him. But if you don't give Him any space, if He can't do it, there's nothing God can do. She had to get out of her, her, her the way her life and move to a place where the presence of God. That's why church is so important. So important. I tell people all the time, the easiest thing about life transformation and you finding your destiny is you attending church. Because when you walk in these doors, if you don't do anything else, you just sit down in the presence of God. It's an hour and a half that God, if I'm preaching, four hours sometimes. But if you you just being here, you're connected to the presence of God. And out of this connection, what happens is identity begins to grow. It doesn't even matter what or who's from preaching. You only got to like the preacher. You don't come for the preacher. If you're coming for the preacher, you're coming for entertainment. Bible doesn't say he inhabits the when two or three are gathered together to hear a good preacher. It says where two are gathered together in his name. I'm telling you, I've been touched by God and changed by God in more services that I can't even tell you what the preacher preached about. It was just being in the presence. And this is what the Bible says. He would come by occasionally. And so occasionally she would get up and she would go out to because she knew that for me to be great is going to take me being connected to the presence of God. And so she would get up and she would go and chase the presence of God. And I love it that she didn't just chase it. The Bible says she would persuade it to come. Because what happened at this was a point. Just like with the children of Israel, they came out as slaves. But the longer they stay connected to the presence of God, there became a generation up that realized they were more than slaves. And they were going to take the promise. They were warriors. They were going forward. But there were some that just kept it casual. And that's why they stayed at the level they were on. We have as much of the presence of God as we want. Here it says that she at first got up casually in game. Would come and get him and bring him. And they would commune. Now, it got to a point that it wasn't enough for her. Because although God had revealed how great she can be, she knew there was more in her life than just being great would ever fulfill. Now, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says she would go and get him. And she would constrain him. You ever, you ever had somebody invite you somewhere and they wouldn't take no for an answer no matter how many times you tried to blow them off? They wouldn't take no for an answer. Really didn't have time. Really didn't want to. Really, and they would just keep on and keep on and keep on. And then you finally went. And after you went, you're like, man, that was awesome. You know, and so, I, that, that's what I picture here. I picture her getting up saying, Elijah, Elijah, and he was busy. He was happy. But she was going, wasn't going to take no for an answer. She grabbed him. She drug him. And they sat down and community. Let me explain to you what church here is. It's this picture in the Bible. Here's what church is. It's where you get up and you put the effort through to get here. 
And when you get here, God is here because He can't refuse. They, when, when two or three are gathered together in His name, whether He wants to show up on church on Sunday or not, He can't keep from it. He has to be here because the Bible promises that. So just by you walking in the doors, He comes. Now, just like in this story, the Bible says when she would get to the house, she would feed Him. Alright? This is what's supposed to take place. They would come together and they would commune. She would give Him something to eat. Now that's hard for a lot of us to understand because a lot of times we think we come to church to be fed. How many guys would agree? I came to church today to be fed. Yes, amen. I'm here. God's feed me. Do you know that's the number one reason why people say they quit church? Is because they just wasn't being fed. You ever heard anybody tell you that? Oh, I had to change churches. I just wasn't being fed over there. Let me tell you a secret. She didn't bring him there for her to feed him. She brought him there to be in the presence. And if she could get the prophet there, she knew the presence was there. And she knew that the presence had the power to make her great and release destiny and and release identity into her life. Make her happy. She didn't need king's attentions, it said. She didn't need leaders' attention. She said, I can stay with my own people because the presence of God is in this thing. You know what I'm saying? You can be, you can be fully fulfilled being in the presence of God. But then this is what the Bible said though here. It says that she would feed him. And a lot of times we miss out on the presence of God because we come to be fed, we don't understand that a communion is you eating and me eating. If we're sitting down at the table, we're both in. And when you're in this church service, there's a reason why we do services like we do. We do praise, we do offering, then we do message. Reason being is because this. We believe that you don't come to church just to be fed. You come to church and you're to feed God. You say, what? What? God can be fed? I can... Yeah, the Bible says you have the ability to bless Him. The Bible says, David said, I bless the Lord, oh my soul. Alright? This is what the Bible says. The Bible says when David was sitting at... I mean, Jesus was sitting at a well with a woman that we think He showed up to help. The Bible says when He got to the well, He sent His disciples away to go get some food. And the Bible says when they were to get the food, Jesus sat there with her. And in the course of their conversation, she moved the, the conversation to the sin. When she recognized that this is a godly man. That's what I said. Well, she, I perceived that you're a prophet. That's what she said. Up to that point, prophets were the prince of God. She moved instantly the topic to worship. She said, we worship God in the hills. You worship God in the synagogue. Which one is right? And Jesus instantly flipped it and said, you know, there's going to be a day when we can worship Him in spirit and in truth. And then the disciples came back. And when they came back, they said, here Jesus, here's your food. And He said, I'm not hungry. I've already eaten. They said, where'd you already eat? And He said, don't you understand that what I was just doing is what feeds me? See, God, we're not in here today just to let God feed us and for God to change us. When you walk in the door today, you have the ability to come and lay something at the table. That's why we says we bring the sacrifice of praise. You're not supposed to get in church and then praise. You're supposed to bring, come, bring something to God in this sanctuary because you value the presence of God so much that you're going to bring Him something that He wants and desires. That he, 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 can you imagine what this lady, how long she prepared this meal? She, she knew she would come. Because well, this is what it says. It says she, would go and she first had to constrain Him to come. But then as you read on that, it says every time He came there, He would turn and go to her house. What do you think she was cooking? That once he started getting it, he wanted more. I mean, was it collard greens? Was it ribs? Was it chicken? She was cooking something so good that when the presence of God had an opportunity to be there, she went. Now, so what the truth is, when we come in here, the first part of our service, the first 45 minutes of this service, is all about what you are feeding God. 
Then the rest of the service is about God feeding you. Now my question is, who's eating better? And when people say, I I just wasn't fed, because all they do is just feed crackers there. Well, this is what the Bible says, you reap what you sow. This is what the Bible says, give and it shall be given back. You determine what comes out of these services. You will never outgive God, but at the same point, what you come and offer to the Lord, in return, He's going to give you more of. Are you giving Him stale praise? Are you giving Him stale worship? When you come into His presence, is He getting day-old last week's energy? Is he, because your meal that you prepare for at this table will determine the meal that He can give you back. And so when we come into church and we don't give God our best and we leave thinking that God didn't give us our best and you're surprised by it because this is a communion. This is me giving to the Lord. And check this out. We give Him ashes. The Bible says He gives us beauty. It says it's an exchange that takes place. When you have a chance to be into the presence of God, it's up to you whether or not you take something out of it. And so we try to put it all back on God. I'm not being fed there. Well, you didn't come and bring anything to feed Him first. Because one of you, you're, well, who, Michael, when you leave on Sunday, who's eating best? That should be what you, when you get, boy, that was a good meal because it determined on what you brought. Now, you say, well, Cricket, show, the Bible said this, the Bible says Abraham. Abraham, the greatest need in his life was not having a son. That was the greatest need, greatest desire, what he longed for, what he even got in sin about, trying to fix and do, couldn't make it happen. But the Bible says he was sitting under a mulberry tree one day and he looked up and he saw the presence of God coming at him. The Bible says he jumped up and he ran to, ran to God and said, let me prepare you a meal. And then check this out. It says he ran back to his house and he killed a young goat. He didn't give him the old raggedy old gray thing that done gotten tough and leather that been in the back of the pasture. He didn't even want anymore. He gave him the young goat. Gave him his very best. And he said he didn't do it slow. He got it quick. And then he got other people involved with him preparing this meal. And when they sat down to eat that meal, check it out. The Bible says there were three angels of the Lord coming. It says when they sat down, he put down three plates. There wasn't anything in it for Abraham. It was all for God. And this is what the Bible says. Abraham looked at, God looked at Abraham and said, this time next year. This time next year. It was the first time there was ever a date stamped on a promise. How long have you been waiting for God to do these things? I'm telling you, this time next year, I'm ready. I'm ready for 2020 to be over. I don't know about you. I'm ready for the next election. I'm ready for the next spring break. I'm ready for, I'm ready for the, the next. Because 2020 has been tough. But I know this. What I do in the next three months will determine what this time next year looks like. Because you've got to understand, for that time next year, in all three of those stories, for them to, this one, this time next year, you're going to be holding a baby. That means she had to get pregnant within the next three months. The miracle started happening right then. Right then. When she realized to lay that, it started happening right then. And then for nine months, she carried that thing and got to be a part of what God was doing. And she got to be used by God to carry that. God will feel anything. And the Bible says this, alright, so she would run out to the road and get him to come eat. That's like going to church every Sunday. I mean, a lot of us understand there's an importance of going to church. But then this is what she said. This is not enough. Just being in the presence of God occasionally is not enough. We expect God to be at church. That's what we come here for. But you need to know, there's more 
than being touched, moved, and touched by God in a church service. And she said this. She said she went to her husband. And I know the exact feeling because Jennifer pulls this junk on me all the time. And just this week, she said, Cricket, or it was last week, the siding's blown off the house. Let's put beach board back up. Do you know how much work that is? And I was like, Jen, that's a lot of work. Siding's easy. Beach board, uh, the, uh, it's called backer board. Putting that back up is... And, uh, so here you got the wife saying, you know what? Me getting to be in the presence of God every so often is not enough. So it says she went to her husband and said, let's tear down the wall. That's asking a lot. It is. She's saying this. She's saying, all right, God, the presence of God is so important in my life. that, And I've seen what it's done for me on the occasional I know that God has, because He, Bible says He's come to give life and life more abundant. I want you to know there's more. And the Bible says that she said, you know, this is my house. And the thing about a house is it, usually you arrange it and it is the way you want it. You do it, but it's, it's where you get to be you. And nobody can tell you what else to do in there. And she said, Yo, you know, husband, there's this wall here. And I'd be willing to give that up to be able to get the presence of God in here more often and more powerful. And if you're a construction guy like me, you know this. When somebody wants to add on a room, there's first process you have to go through is demolition. And there has to be some tearing down. And the truth of the matter is, a lot of us don't, we want more of God, but we won't allow God to tear some things down in our lives for us to have more of Him. We're not willing to give up some of those friends. We're not willing to give up some of our time. We're not, we're, we're not willing to cut a hole into that. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's exactly like I like it. Or we're not willing to, you know, and then allow the dust to be around. And allow you, if you've ever done construction on a house that you live in, it is a pain. Because that's what me and Jen do. We usually buy a house, we move into it, we convert that house while we're living in it. And for a season in this house we're in now, it, it was a three-bedroom. We actually went in and ripped one of the bedrooms out. So it was a two-bedroom. So me and Jen spent three months sleeping in a bed in the living room. And it was weird. And it was because we were on Wednesday nights. What we were having was that's when the church in Alabama was in home group. On Wednesday nights, we were having prayer meetings at our table, which was 10 foot from my bed. And it was weird. But it wasn't going to stay that way because we knew we were turning a 1,200-square-foot house into a 2,100-square-foot house, but there just had to be a season of demolition, and there were going to have to be some things that happened in this house that would have to shift and change, and I would have to be willing to allow my house to be a little uncomfortable for a little bit to be all that it could be. And see, a lot of us aren't willing to allow ourselves to get uncomfortable when it comes to letting the presence of God become a part of more than Sunday. What? Give up another hour and a half on Wednesday? I mean, they put a hole right there in the middle of my week and build that. And then the cost involved. Oh my gosh, it, I've never gotten into a construction project where the cost of it is not lower than what we expected. Every construction project I ever got into, the cost was higher. And that's the truth about it. When you value the Prince of God, it's going to take some rearranging, tearing down. You've got to open up something. You've got to be to give God room. You're going to have to be willing to go to work and be a little uncomfortable. You've got to be willing to hang out at that and quit watching things that maybe are a little. You're going to have to. There's going to be some prices you're going to have to pay. And the truth of the matter is, are you willing to pay them? Because when you understand what it is that you're paying for. You'll understand that what you, He's asking you 
to tear up and buy has nothing to do. I've never invested money in a house that my wife hasn't been able to take and make us three times the money in. Every house we get, I'm like she told me on one house, we're going to have to put 25000 in this. That just blew me back. I said, girl, you must be crazy. Paint ain't that expensive. No, I'm going to do this, 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 this. And I said, 25000 But it brought the house value up to 100000 for us. When you, allow, when you allow God to demolish a few things in your life, the value that it brings into you will blow you away. Never thought I could make $100,000 flipping a house. But time and time again, when you allow the Prince of God to be that valuable in your life, your whole life goes up. Then said this, said this. So they tore the, they built this room, and then they furnished it. I mean, it wasn't enough just to do the work, but then to put things in there that God could use. I mean, didn't just put a bed in there, put a table where God could sit and do work if He needed to, or you know, put a lamp and they decorated the room because they didn't just want God to come by. They wanted God to do some things there. You can understand it is impossible for God to show up anywhere and not do a work. I'm going to close real quick. But you need to understand this. The Bible says that nothing is impossible for God. Alright? We read that as in, wow, He can fix all this. What you need to understand that there's no way that He can keep Himself from fixing all that. Because He can't sit around and do nothing. He can't sit in your house and watch your marriage be broken. He can't sit in your house and watch your kids dying and going to hell. He can't sit in your house and watch your finances be a struggle. He can't sit in your house and watch you die of disease when He knows He is the answer. He can't it, it, Nothing is impossible. See, I'm a D personality and I'm ADD and all that. And Jennifer tells me all the time, man, it's impossible for you just to sit and do nothing, ain't it? And I'm like, Jen, I'm just like God. She just hadn't seen that yet, all right? <laughs> It's God can't come in and sit down on a bed you've made for Him in a place you've given Him and Him sit there with His mouth shut and His hands tied and His feet held together. It is impossible, it says, for God to do nothing. And so when He has a room, when you give Him a room in your marriage, when you give Him a room in your job, when you give Him a room in your home, or you give Him a room in your kids, and you give Him a room in your finances, you give Him a room, it is impossible for Him not to get in your business and make everything, the Bible says, turn good. See, we keep thinking we're waiting on God. You're not. God is waiting for you to make a room because He can't help Himself. It says it's impossible for Him not to. Now check out what this says. The lady had a lot. She lived on the good side of town. But what got her there is because she understood the value of the presence of God. And she was the one chasing it. She was the one pulling it in. She was the one feeding it good. And in return, He was making her home something that she never thought it could be. And then this is what God said. He says, she's given us this place to lay. In other words, there were long periods of time that God would come. And then it said this. It said that while God was laying there one day, He said, what can I do for her? 
And I love the questioning because do you think the prophet of God didn't know? I love the picture we see here because the prophet said, what can we do for her? The servant of the prophet, Gazelle, he said, she needs a kid. She's barren. Her husband's too old. I love this. You know what this is the picture of? This is the picture of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit having a conversation about you. God's the Father saying, man, I want to bless that. Because He loves me so much that He gives me an opportunity to bless Him. Holy Spirit, what's the best way I can bless Him? And the Holy Spirit had been there in the home. The Holy Spirit had looked into her life and saw the only thing money can't fix, the only thing that position or status couldn't give her was a healing from something broken on the inside and fix her husband because of his limitations now. Said her husband's too old. And then the prophet said, go get her. And I love it how it says that they brought her and she stood in the door. This lets me know because a lot of times you can be so involved in the presence of God that it's not a reverent thing anymore. She didn't just intrude into the room even though it was her house. Like didn't walk in, jump on his bed, throw her feet back and say, what you want, man? So she stopped at the door. Because a lot of times as a second generation Christian, I'm a PK. I grew up in church my whole life and it's real easy to get comfortable in the presence of God. And it's real easy to take the presence of God for granted. And it's real easy to be in services like this and not have reverence for God because it's just another Sunday or just... And what will happen in those seasons is I watch, and it's even been me at times, people die spiritually. The Bible says that there was, back in the Old Testament, at a part when the Prince of God was in the Ark of the Covenant and uh, they were waiting to build the temple, that they took the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in the guy's house. And it stayed in the guy's house. And as long as the Prince of God was in that guy's house, his whole house prospered and blessed. But the Bible says when it got time to get that out, they came and they put it on a new cart. Big parade. They pulled out the house and it went to hit the door stomp and it went to tip over. And one of the kids that had been a part of the family that was housing the, the, the presence of God stuck his hand out to steady the car. The Bible says, and boom, he dropped dead. Sounds hard. Do you know why? He lost the reverence of the presence of God. See, a lot of times we like to get so comfortable with the things we know of God that we don't reverence it. We want it, but we treat it casual. She stopped at the door. She knew what she was looking at and what she was talking to. And so Sunday wasn't enough anymore. She built this place where it was every day. And then this is what she said. She said, he said, this time next year, you embrace your child. You understand how big this thing was? This was such a big statement that she stepped back and you can almost hear anger in her voice. She said, don't you tell me that. Because what he just did was touch the greatest disappointment, the greatest wound, the greatest failure, the greatest mistake. 
and he exposed it in the room. And the problem with it is, she did not have the faith to get that miracle. Because don't you tell me that. But you don't even have to have the faith to get the miracle when you're in the presence of God who can do the miracle. You see, a lot of times we think I can only get from God what I have faith. No, you get in the presence of God and He'll do what you don't even believe He can do. Can He change your husband? Can He heal your kid? Can He transform your life? Can you give you hope? Absolutely. Even if you don't believe it, it don't matter. You just get in the presence of God. Make it a part. Pursue the presence to a point that when you show up there one day, it's only a matter of time before, boom, that thing that you never thought, that thing that could never happen, that thing that God will change, He'll fix. But then it don't stop with just getting. You gotta understand. To maintain, you gotta keep the presence of God. Because the Bible said this exactly everything they said came true. And you would think, all right, my thinking, this part, the lady never had a kid. All right, the only extra room they had in the house, um, what do you think it would go to when she got one? I know what every time I had, we had kids, any room we had extra in our house became a nursery. Jennifer had already had plans. This is the way I see it. When he said you're going to have a kid, well, me and you would have, all right, we got what we need from God. That room, you know, we built over there for the prophet, that'd make a great nursery. Let's put a crib and take that bed out. But that's not what she did. Because she understood what got me here is what's going to keep me here. And a lot of times, we get to a place where we we need God when we're broken, we need God when we're lost, we need God when we're broke, but when we get to God and God changes the things in our life, fixes the things and life gets good, then we begin to replace the room that we had designated for the presence of God in our life, replace the times on Sunday, replace the time in the week when we're in before the Lord, and we turn it into what? We fill it up with what God has blessed us with. And we don't have a place anymore. But the Bible says, if you read on down, it said there was a day when that little boy was working in the field. And he hollered, my head. And they brought him to the mother, and the boy laid his head on the mother's lap. The Bible says the boy died. And she didn't take him to church. And she didn't take him to the prophet's house. Read it then here. It says, she took him into the room that she had built for the prophet. And laid him there. And when you read on down, what happened was this. The very room, the very space, the very opportunity that she gave God before is what God used to keep when the enemy came against her family like a flood. The Lord will raise the standard. God don't ever change His mind. Once He moves you up a level, He don't ever intend for you to go back. And so... When you're serving the Lord at this level, when things get good, it's not His plan for you to step back. If you do, you'll find yourself without a room to put when something happens in your future. And something will happen. It happens all the time. You'll never be in a place where you don't need the presence of God. And the Bible says she went and laid Him there. And then she ran because she knew a room is just a room. If I don't have God in it, I don't have the place. She went and got the prophet and brought him in. And God raised that kid back from the and that was more than a kid that she loved that was her future her husband was old he was going to die and if he died nobody would be there to take care of her that's the way Jewish culture was her destiny took that room the destiny of your life the destiny of what you're going to go through will take whether or not you have room for God in your life 
Don't let business, money, don't let friends, don't let desires take the room in your life that God needs. Because your very life will depend on how connected you are to the presence. There's always a battle for the room in your life. There's always a battle. You know, there's that old, that teacher that took that, I know him, but that teacher that took that vase and put it on there, had rocks, gravel, sand, told the class, how do you get all these in there? And the kids kept trying to figure it out, kid, never could. They would put the sand in, then they would put the rocks in, then they'd try to get the boat and it would never fit. And so he stops the class, he pours them all back out, he puts the vase there, he takes the first big rock, puts it in, takes the next big rock, puts it in, then he takes all the gravel, drops them in, then he takes this in, and every bit of it fit and there was still room left. And he said, this is the moral, make sure you always get the big rocks in first. This is the truth. If you always make sure there's room for the presence of God in your life, everything else will fit. The Bible says, Seek you first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. You say, Well, Cricket, how do I do it? How do I make sure I got room? Well, just like the disciples, when they were in the boat and they were struggling and they needed God to get in their boat. Just like the woman that was sick with the issue of blood. Just like the blind man, the Bible says it set at the gate of Jericho. And it says, and Jesus was passing by. He was already gone. And yet the man jumped up and started doing something that allowed God to have room to move in his life. And that was he began to make a noise, make a sound, begin to make a praise. That's why I, I can tell if God has room in my life by how much time I have to praise Him. If I want God involved in a relationship, if I want to give, if I'm having a problem in a relationship, and I want to have God, I want to give God room in this relationship, when I have, when I'm talking to Janet in this relationship, I begin to praise God in this conversation. I'm talking about Janet, God has been so good to me. Man, He's blessed me in so many. The minute you put praise in any part of your life, you create a room that God can begin to work in. And then when He shows up and works in, the things in that room that you could not fix, He begins to fix. He begins to change. He healed her from the inside out, and it made a life for her and her future. It all comes back to, does God have room in your day that you praise? Does God have room in your home you praise? Does God have room in your relationships that you praise? Does God have room in your marriage that there's praise? You know how many times I look at Jen and say, Jen, I'm so glad God is working on me today. Man, He's never given up on me. I just want you to know that, hey, you may have... But I want to thank God that He still fixed me and nothing's too strong for Him. He, and man, you watch what it does in my relationship. Anywhere I put praise. And so this is it. Does God have room in your life? That's, a, that's the, the end of this message. I want to ask this question. Does God have room in your heart? Is He there right now? You can tell if there's room for God is if He's there. If you're here this morning and there's not been any room in the past in your life, for God, so much hurt, so many mistakes. I mean, I want to ask you before we go any further, would you give God a little room this morning to come into your heart? And if you just let Him in, He'll fix everything else. You don't got to fix any of it. If you're here this morning and you're not right with the Lord, 
You say, Cricket, I need God in my heart. Would you simply raise your hand? I want to pray with you first, right there. Tell me, give everybody else a chance. We don't do this to embarrass. We do this to give God a chance to do something. When you give him a chance, he does it. I just got He just needs a little room. I oh, going back to the story. If you read verse one through eight, check this out. One through eight in that chapter, it's a one, it's a widow that's about to die, and she and see she had this great need, and she had a big old empty pot. The Bible says because the prophet came up to her and said, "Hey, um, give me a biscuit to eat," and she goes, "Oh no, we don't. I don't have that because all I have is a little meal and a little oil. That's all I have." In other words, she's basically saying, "I got a whole lot of empty vessel here, but empty vessel is not what God needs. God needs a little more room." In your life. And so the prophet said, give me what you have first. And when she took a little out of that empty pot, God put back in enough for her life to sustain everything she got. See, you think, you're sitting here, that cricket, my life's so empty. No, you just need to give him something. Give him your heart. Give him your Say, well, it ain't much. Just give him a little. And he will make your little transform your life forever. Does he have room? The most important thing you'll ever do is make room. I tell you, the, the saddest story, the saddest business story in the entire Bible. Because if this businessman in the Bible would have realized what was happening, he'd have made one decision, would have changed history. The businessman that did not have any room in his inn when Mary and Joseph showed up at his door. Do you realize what would have happened? Because people right now travel all over the world, all over the world, to go look at a hole in a cave where Jesus was born. Can you imagine if the innkeeper that day would have said, you know what, all my rooms are full, but I'm sleeping in a room tonight. And you know, I know who you are. I recognize this opportunity. Here, I'll go sleep in the cave tonight, and I'll let you have my room. And if Jesus would have been born in that room, do you know people would still be paying fortunes today to stay in that hotel? Stupidest business decision in the entire Bible. He didn't have room. I don't want anybody to walk out of here making a stupid decision today. Not giving just a little bit of room. Because that's all he needs. If you need to let God into your heart today, if he's not been there, you simply raise your hand. And I'm going to pray with you that quick. And that will be the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. If there's no hands up, I want to move to this. Do you have enough of God in your life that you want? If you don't, if there's a need, I told you at the beginning, I believe God showed up here today to ask you, what do you need? What can I do for you? This will be your moment of opportunity. Your praise will give you the opportunity to let God in, to fix what you can't fix, and heal what you can't heal, and bless what you can't bless. And so we're going to take three minutes here. This song here, three minutes. And you... Offer God something to eat. I don't know what you offered Him when you came in, but if it was microwaved, I tell you what, you can do better. But you're going to walk out of here. And when you walk out of here, if you can answer the question, did I eat better or did He eat better? And you can say, I gave it everything I had. You'll walk out of here knowing that you're going to eat better than God did here today. Three minutes. Let's give God some room to do something that I can't fix for you. You can't fix for yourself. Only He can. And you watch how God's future begins to change because that's what His presence does. Amen.